welcome to another episode of Access Ability. It's a show on YouTube where I talk about the video game industry, accessibility, and representation. Basically, how can we help more people to play games, and more people to see themselves in the games they play? I'm your host, Laura. I'm a white woman with bright blue hair, shaved on one side, wearing a plain black dress. Over the past couple of console generations, we've seen a real shift in the video game industry, both in terms of the ways that games are designed and the ways that they are marketed, towards the idea that a game being addictive and difficult to put down is desirable. More than ever, video games are becoming huge sprawling affairs with online elements that they need to keep an active player base in to keep other people playing online, DLC that they want you to be invested enough to purchase, or post-launch content that they require you to still be engaged with by the time that content drops. As a result, video games used to be structured around the idea you could buy them, play them in your own time, and whenever you put them down that was fine as long as you'd made the purchase. Today, game developers in increasing numbers of cases need you to keep playing a game for a set amount of hours over a set amount of time before they're ready for you to put it down. As a result, increasing numbers of video games are employing psychological tricks designed to keep players playing in lengthier play sessions and more overall play sessions over time. These can range from having to-do lists in games that are difficult to definitively complete because as you tick one thing off another thing's already been added, and sometimes that takes the form of things like having moving goalposts where something that seems like an endpoint is actually the start of the next thing, and while this is great if you're the kind of gamer that loves to have your game always pushing you somewhere new so that it always feels like there's something to do, it can be really distressing if you are a disabled gamer who struggles to find exit ramps in that kind of experience and can find yourself compelled to play rather than wanting to play. So today, on Access Ability, we're going to be talking about addictive and compelling gameplay loops in video games. We're going to talk about some of the tactics and tricks that video game developers use to make gamers feel compelled to keep playing. We're going to talk about some of the disabilities that that can become a problem for. And we're going to talk about some of the things that video games already do that can help to provide exit ramps for disabled gamers that should really be picked up by either more developers or more console manufacturers. Let's start off this video by digging a little bit into some examples of the kinds of gameplay loops video games today increasingly employ, and how some of those can be difficult to break out of for disabled gamers. Over the last couple of console generations, one big trend in the AAA game space has been a shift in focus from linear single-player games towards open-world single-player games, with more open-ended objectives. If we look at a game series like Assassin's Creed or The Legend of Zelda, you'll see over the past decade a shift away from entries with a clear main path of progression, narrative checkpoints, and clear breaks in the action, and towards entries where you might have three or four different tasks in the works at once, and to come across even more tasks to attempt as you try and check things off that list. Looking at the two most recent 3D main series games in the Legend of Zelda series, Skyward Sword was a largely linear game where players would drop down into an environment, work towards its end via the one and only core progression path, with loading screens between areas and save statues used to suggest that you'd completed an amount of progression and reached essentially a new level, a solid place to save and resume later. If you compare that to Breath of the Wild, 
you might set off on one of many available narrative quests currently in your quest log, on the way there see a bandit camp with a chest and some weapons, then notice a shrine just off your path, then encounter an NPC with a small side quest, all while on the way towards your original objective. Each of these new small distractions may not take long to complete, encouraging doing them on the way, and possibly sending you on a detour which takes you past even more new tasks to complete. Breath of the Wild demonstrates a trend in game design towards more open-ended worlds where attempting a single objective may lead to more objectives being added to a to-do list. That said, it's not the worst example of this trend out there, because of a handful of helpful game design choices the game employs. Players can, within reason, save their game anywhere at any time. Their save will not always be precise, you might reload your game at the start of a Divine Beast dungeon rather than in the middle of the boss you were fighting, but generally a player can save at any time, stop playing, and lose minimal progress. Quests in Breath of the Wild are also generally very small in scope. As long as you're not attempting a dungeon, you can likely finish at least one item on your to-do list and get a sense of having completed something, which can act as an off-ramp for players. These small points of completion and victory are usually distinct and separate from each other, making it easier to quit playing and walk away. An example of an open world game I found really distressing to play as an autistic gamer was the original launch day release of No Man's Sky. At launch, No Man's Sky's gameplay structure was very much geared around never allowing the player to feel like they'd ever had a good exit point from gameplay. As someone on the autism spectrum, one thing I really struggle with in games is wanting to feel like I have completed a defined to-do list before I quit playing a game. When playing No Man's Sky, I vividly remember the day I had to stop playing that game entirely, because the lack of a clearly defined place to halt my own progression trapped me playing longer than I should have. I got stuck in a gameplay loop of having to scour a planet for resources to make a jump through space, from a corner of the universe that lacked an abundance of the resources I needed, I spent hours searching in circles for the randomly occurring spawns of resources I need to finish up that one last thing that would be jumping to the next place in space, and as soon as I finally made that jump, I realised I was in a new area and that that resource was suddenly abundant. Something I'd spent hours being told was rare was suddenly everywhere, and I felt compelled to play a little longer despite already knowing I needed to stop. I felt compelled to keep playing a game, even though I was running late on my day's work schedule and causing myself distress. That is compulsion. This is the kind of thing I mean when I talk about addictive loops in games leading to compulsion for disabled players. These experiences are there to hook players into getting invested in games, but for players with conditions such as autism, ADHD, and OCD, these hooks can really mess up a gameplay experience and turn a game from moreish to a harmful compulsion. I've focused a lot in this video so far on open world games as a source of this compulsion response in disabled gamers, but they're certainly not the only genre of game that has this issue. Roguelikes, which have ballooned in popularity in the last few years, often deliberately pair a short run length, high randomization, low odds of success, and a quick reload to play again, to create game structures purpose-built to binge over and over without noticing the hours pass. 
if, as a gamer with ADHD and a medicinal lack of dopamine, I get into a loop of playing The Binding of Isaac, it's easy to button mash from death into a new run while seeking that dopamine hit of a win. With the short length of most attempts and the dopamine reward of random collectibles and maybe winning, encouraging me to just sort of mash through and keep going. I may have just died, but I mashed a button and right away was in a new playthrough. My character's right there and they're controllable right now. I might as well keep going. Compare that, for example, to Hades, another roguelike, which typically has longer runs, less drastic randomization due to increased control over pickups, which leads to increased rates of success on runs, and a narrative area that comes between runs that forces the player to slow down and take a moment before continuing gameplay. And you have an example of a roguelike that is a lot less designed to breed compulsion in addictive, obsessive, or perfectionist players. There's room to breathe between runs that gives you a second to go, do I have time to commit to another big run? Lastly, there are games which don't allow progression to be saved during certain in-game actions, such as Chain Shiny Hunting in Pokemon Let's Go or Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. In both of these games, you can save during an attempted chain of encounters to raise your shiny Pokemon odds, but that shiny chain status does not get included in your save data. This can create a major sense of FOMO, fear of missing out, and encourage players to continue playing out of compulsion rather than genuine desire. So what can we do to help gamers with conditions such as autism, ADHD, and OCD to avoid having games prey on their compulsions? Well, we're unlikely to see games as a whole move away from these kinds of gameplay structures anytime soon, but there are tools which can help players to manage those compulsions, largely surrounding save systems and game suspension. Games which allow the player to save their progress literally anywhere and at any time are good, but in order to be truly effective, they have to allow saving of all player data without exceptions, such as the position in a shiny chain, for example. In essence, what I'm suggesting is save states, an option supported by many emulator programs for older consoles, where the player can literally save the exact state of their game and pick up very precisely where they left off. This doesn't fix every problem with compulsion in gaming, but it provides an exit ramp where the player can guarantee that nothing at all has been lost. Now, I recognise some console manufacturers and game developers will simply not allow this or ever implement it in their games. I brought up shiny chains in Pokemon specifically because that is an example of a game and mechanic that I suspect will never support saving mid-run, particularly in that sort of save state form. So what do we do to support creating an exit point for games that don't support it themselves? Well, we look at game suspension. At this point, most video games support putting a game at any time into sleep mode, walking away and coming back exactly where you left off. However, not every game suspension option on modern consoles is created equally. On PlayStation 5, players can suspend the game they're currently playing, and as long as their console remains connected to mains power, and they do not play a different game, their progress remains perfectly intact and easy to walk away from. The Nintendo Switch is the same, with the added benefit that because it's a portable console with a built-in battery, 
Players can be confident that if their power goes out, or a family member unplugs the console to save power or use the outlet for something else, their progress will not be immediately lost. However, the gold standard is the Xbox Series X, which allows for multiple games to be suspended at once, and keeps that suspended progress held in memory, even if the console loses main's power. This allows the player to not just suspend their progress, but to go and play a different game, one which doesn't prey on their compulsions, safe in the knowledge their progress has not been lost because they dared to play a different, less addictive game for a while. While all of the things I have discussed in this video are things that exist already and can help disabled gamers to disengage from compelling gameplay loops, at its core, this isn't going away anytime soon. Game developers want to make games that keep people hooked in and playing for very lengthy play sessions through the draw of compulsion, and what I would really like is to ask any developers who are watching this, what length of play session are you imagining your players playing for? What do you think is a healthy amount of time for someone to play the game you are playing? What do you think is the amount of time someone should be playing before they go, here is my convenient exit point if I wish to stop, where I will feel satisfied and like it's okay for me to leave? Once you know that, are you providing an exit ramp at that sort of point, and if so, how are you signposting it? Are you making it clear enough? Are you doing enough to make sure that people who are playing out of compulsion, rather than fun, feel like it's okay for them to leave and walk away, and that that's not something that they're failing by doing. You need to think about the fact that some people will be playing only because they're distressingly compelled, and make sure that you have something in there to give them an out. I can advocate for better save implementation or more robust use of multiple game suspension, but at the end of the day, this is a game design philosophy question, and it's something we need game developers to think about. Is the most important thing for you that someone plays your game for a long amount of time, regardless of whether they're enjoying it? Or is your game good enough that you don't have to compel someone to keep playing, and you can give them options to stop playing at any time, and they'll keep playing because they want to, not because they're compelled to? Hades is an example that I mentioned earlier in this video, and I think it's a really good one to think about, because I play a lot of Hades, and I play a lot of The Binding of Isaac. They're both roguelikes, but there's only one of the two that I play because I feel compelled to keep playing. Hades gives me exit ramps at the end of every run. It gives me a point to stop, and take in what's happened, and take in the decision of whether I want to keep playing. And I often do because I want to, because it's a great game. I never do another run because I mashed through a button and felt compelled to keep playing. And that's a fundamental difference that game designers need to think about.